This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Before there was IMDB.com, there was Zach and Dustin. You know those guys who think they know everything about a movie without having to go on the internet to look it up? That's us, but maybe only for the years 1981 through mid-1989. No, I'd say late 1978 through early 1992. (laughs) Either way, we know movies, and even more specifically, we know soundtracks from those movies. Yeah, this is $2 Late Fee with Zach and Dustin. This is the podcast where we pick a movie and soundtrack from our youth that we loved and see if it still holds up today. All in the spirit of positivity and togetherness. Thanks for listening. On to the show. When I say Hart Bachner, what's the first thing you think of? Gonna say Die Hard, Ellis in the movie Die Hard. Maybe a little like Hans, Booby, I'm your white knight. A little of that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but here's the thing Hart Bachner, and that was the reason he's on our show today, he has an extensive filmography, not just in front of the camera, but behind it as well. Well, this is a guy who I think really kind of epitomizes what our show is about because we do those deep dives and, you know, there are a lot of people that you'll see in a movie and you'll be like, oh, I know that guy. I know his face, but you'll never know his name. And I think Hart is one of those guys because he's definitely been around. People know him. He's the handsomest man in the world and he played a lot of shady douchebag characters for a very long time and did it exceptionally well. So you know the name, you're like, I, maybe, I, maybe I don't know it, but then you definitely know the face. And you're like, yes, I know that guy. Right I there. think you actually said he's the most likable douchebag villain ever. I think, I think you're quoted. In I think, I, yeah, I think he is. Um, I mean, he's certainly up there. There's a lot of, there's a lot of douchebags in movies um, another one I, I could think of would be like um, uh, like Bradley Whitford, who, who yes. I feel like is is you know kind of kind of douchey, um, For sure. but he's very good at it. John C. McGinley. John C. McGinley, that is perfect, and and actually uh, just recently celebrated a birthday, um, yeah. on our Instagram celebrations. Um, John C. McGinley is is completely accurate. Yes. 
But you know what all three of those actors have in common? Hart Bachner, Bradley Whitford, and John C. McGinley. They're not those kind of people in real life. It was so nice having Hart on the show and getting to know him as a person versus just the roles he's had in movies and some of the movies that we love that he directed as well, including PCU. Totally. You know, when you just right now when you said, you know what those three guys have in common? I got a lot of anxiety because I was like, oh no, he's going to like quiz me and I'm going to get this wrong and I'm going to feel like an ass. But then there was no quiz. It was just, they're all nice guys. I was like, great. Yeah, there's no I, quiz. I was, I, was yeah. so, I was like, oh no. I'm like, what, what, I'm like, what movie have they been in? I'm like, Happy Gilmore? No. I got, yeah. They've no, all got great none facial of them hair. have been in Happy Gilmore. <laughs> they, yes, right. They've all had a great mustache or beard at one point. Well, I, I mean, Hart is, Hart is not... Uh, He's not heart on the eyes, if you know what I'm saying. Hey, I think we're both comfortable in our masculinity. Yes. I appreciate the fact that Hart Bachner is an attractive guy. Um, whether he's got a full beard in Die Hard as Ellis, or whether he's got that sleazy mustache in The Wildlife as David, um, or he's clean-shaven in Breaking Away and Apartment Zero. I kind of wish we had talked to him about this facial hair topic because it's a good one well for the next 45 minutes or so you're going to get insight into who he is as a person sam's facial hair and uh, you're going to get a nice trip down memory lane with someone that if you didn't know who he was before this or if you only knew him from just one film you're gonna know him from a lot more by the end of this and probably want to start watching the rest of his stuff couldn't have said it better actor writer, director, and environmental activist, Hart Bachner. Hart Bachner, thanks so much for being on $2 Late Fee. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for uh, making this happen. We are huge fans of your work. And thank I, you. I, and, you know, I'm really, it's really an honor to have you on the show uh, and, and talk about your career and talk about all the good things in the world. But first and foremost, how are you doing? How's how's life in the in the COVID age for you? Essentially, I'm I'm climbing the walls. You know, I I mean I I managed to make it out um, every other day or so. I go for walks, but you know, it's like it is for everybody yeah. who's trying to play by the rules. You know, and it seems like it's getting more ominous every day, and that the the possibility of leading a normal life is, you know, getting delayed, which is frustrating as hell. I'm sure everybody feels that way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Truly. the signs are ominous. Let's face it. Dark, dark yeah. times. Yeah, for sure. And at the most critical time, you know, in our lifetimes, you know, we have the worst possible leadership, the most irresponsible. So we, let's not get into politics. No, but but, but honestly, I mean, look, I, I get sucked into these dark places when it comes to the leadership sure. and and everything like that. And I, and I, yeah, and I'm I'm firmly of the belief that even it, like a Heinz ketchup bottle would do a better job because it would be doing less. <laughs> you know, it would not it, like it wouldn't be yeah. actively harming people. Um, yeah. So yeah, so we can go there certainly, <laughs> but like it just doesn't do much in terms of positivity because as you're saying, it's like. There's no, there's no there's no end in no. sight right now. No. No, yeah. I don't see an end game yeah. here. Yeah. But we, we we look at this and we go, okay, look, we we've got let's fill let's fill the void for 30, 40, 50 minutes of uh 
uh, uh, trying to find some some humor and some fun and and some upliftingness, if that's even a okay. word. <laughs> yeah. And uh, upliftedness is yeah. a word for okay. sure. Yeah. There you go. And and maybe this will put a smile on a few people's faces. I, I know yeah. it is definitely for us right now. Just getting a chance to talk to you. So so like like I said, thanks for being on the show and uh, and and just thanks for being around in the world. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How do I respond to that? No, no. Uh, well, thank you. Thank yeah, because my, my parents. It could have been yeah. a big mistake. Well, right? <laughs> before before we even yeah. say anything, I feel like we should just acknowledge too that um, you are you are probably most well known to our to our audience as Ellis from Die Hard. Yes. Uh, just to just to kind for of, better or worse. For yeah. Better, for it's, in, it's interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that that seems to resonate thirty years plus. You know, on so so right. So obviously, you did not. Ex- I mean, nobody with Die Hard really expected the kind of success. No, and, not and at all. It was with it. everything seemed quite random when we were doing it. You know, not that there wasn't anybody at the helm, but we had no idea. I remember having a meeting with my agents right after the movie uh, was finished, and I was going off. I was going off down to Argentina to do a. A movie with Colin Firth called Apartment Zero. Yep. Seen it. Definitely and, want to talk about oh, that okay. one. Oh, okay. And my agent <laughs> said, yeah, I hear really bad things about this movie. You did Die Hard. And I said, well, you know, what? you win some, you lose some. <laughs> so, yeah, there was there was no expectation because Bruce, you know, had done two features that bombed. Yep. And, right. you know, Rickman was an unknown commodity and it was just... You know, it was um, initially, I think it was Richard Gere and Gene Hackman were supposed to be in the movie. It would have been much different tonally, obviously. For sure. Much wow. different outcome. I can't even imagine. But much darker, probably, film. But much you darker. were always considered to be Ellis, right? I don't know. <laughs> you, I, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say yes. <laughs> I, I have no idea what, you know, I mean. I had a sense of how I wanted to play the role. And when I got to set, I had never discussed it with the director. I kind of went in with that behavior. And he took me aside and said, I don't know what the hell you're doing, but I, I hate it. <laughs> I, wow. Just, I want you to think Cary Grant and be very charming. And I said, well, I know we haven't discussed this, but I see this guy's behavior driven by coke and and masking his insecurities it's christmas eve it's you know he's alone and he's trying to pick up this girl and it's all coke driven he said forget just turn your brain (laughs) off don't forget that and let's just let's just think charming and i just thought i'm screwed you know i i don't see it that way and he's it's gonna suck the life out of me so i kind of just kept doing what i was doing and he got more and more perturbed and finally he he turned he saw joel silver and and larry gordon the producers laughing at the monitor and he went over and he talked to him and he came back to me and said just do whatever the hell you want to do Uh and and from that point on it was off to the races hope i'm not interrupting what does he want (laughs) it's not what i want it's what i can give you look let's be straight okay it's obvious you're not some dumb schmuck up here to snatch a few purses, am I right? You're very perceptive. I watch 60 Minutes. I say to myself, these guys are professional. They're motivated. They're happening, i.e., they want something, huh? Now, personally, I couldn't care less about your politics. Maybe you're pissed off at the camel jockeys. Maybe it's the Heaves, Northern Island. It's none of my business. 
I figure you're here to negotiate. Am I right? You're amazing. You figured this all out already. <laughs> hey, business is business. You use a gun, I use a fountain pen. What's the difference? Let's put it in my terms. You're here in a hostile takeover. You grab us for some green mail, but you didn't expect some poison pill was going to be running around in the building. Am I right? Hans, Bobby, I'm your white knight. I didn't see what the point of the role was unless I could have some fun with it, you know? It was, if I played it straight, it just would have been, you know, kind of typecasting, and I just wanted to cut loose. Well, maybe that's why 30 years later, we're still talking about your role in that movie. And, and if, who, who knows what would have happened if you would have done it the other way? Yeah. Yeah. You know, and you know, right. You're a yeah. meme. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you're a gif, <laughs> yeah. you're a gif, you're, you know, you're all those things. In this weird millennium world, that, that's a, that's a really big deal, I guess. <laughs> and, and I will say, I mean, this strange in, in the most complimentary way, you play douchey characters better than anyone. <laughs> like, you are the most, you are the, like the most charming, douchey, like you're a douchebag, <laughs> but we love you, well, you know? I think that's it's, where I first recognize that too was in 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 the wildlife when uh, when you well that's going back you come on screen and and okay being you know whatever age we're not gonna drop name uh, ages right now but being a kid watching that movie and and and, and seeing you come on screen i'm like this dude is i want to like this guy i want to like this guy because he looks cool got a great mustache and you know he's he's got a hot girlfriend Aaliyah thompson but you're yeah you just you Dustin's right. You're like able to mold that that character so well, where like a likable, likable villain in a way. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that came <laughs> from. I mean, I always thought, you know, if you look at assholes throughout the course of history, they don't think they're assholes, right? No, Otherwise, they couldn't live with themselves. Yeah, it's all ego, right? So it's finding the humanity in someone, even if they're unsympathetic. To, to gain some insight into what motivates their behavior. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And, you know? and when, you made the, when you made Wildlife, it seems like a, that was a fun shoot to do. It was a lot of fun. Cameron Crowe and I were like best friends. And, and uh, I had met him because I did a movie called Rich and Famous where I was playing a 23-year-old Rolling Stone reporter. And it was yeah. based on Cameron. Uh -huh. And the writer put us together. And we just kind of became buds. But, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, you know, Leah, Leah's a great girl, Leah Thompson. I mean, we're going back. Nobody remembers this movie, obviously. We do. I mean, Our audience does. Absolutely. It was Cameron Crowe's follow-up to Fast Times. Yeah. Yep. And it, I don't think it did very well when it came out. It was um, Chris Penn was in it and Eric Stoltz. And, uh, but, yeah, they asked me to do it, and I said, sure. You know, it was... It was fun to sink my teeth into playing, you know, a philandering cop, you know. <laughs> what, what? Which is very topical right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no doubt. cop. Um, yeah. And, and, and then you said, when you said Rich and Famous. Yeah. I don't think, again, that's another movie that maybe people might not have remembered. That's got a phenomenal cast. That, that, you had, that was a, that was a, a really well-made movie. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen it in a long, long time. It was, you know, it was George Cukor's last film. Mm -hmm. Legendary director. He was like 82 when we made it. Wow. Um, but, 
Yeah, I mean, I was 23 years old, I think. And, um, you know, the beginning of my career started rather quickly. And I just, without formal training, you know, I, I never wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to be a director. So, um, yeah, without formal training, I started doing, you know, film after film. And I just was kind of half terrified and half like throwing a baby into a swimming pool. It was instinct, you know, and, uh, and then <laughs> I, I started studying, I started training and I had an acting teacher in, 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 uh, in uh, college who said it takes about 18 years for somebody to become an actor. And I thought, what is he talking about? Mm. But that's right. Yeah. It took about 18 years before wow. I felt comfortable in my skin as an actor. So you, you said you, you, you jumped right into acting pretty much with the intention of being a director. And obviously that yeah. changed, but yeah, you're, if you look at your resume from like, you were, you were in film after film after film for such a long chunk of time. So your, your mo first movie you did was Islands in the Stream, right? Yeah. Which was a, a total fluke because I was, I went to an open house at the American Film Institute here in LA I was a freshman in college and wanted to go to film school. So I go to this open house to, to check it out. And uh, a woman came up to me and asked me my name, which I didn't think twice about. And then a couple months later, I got a call from Paramount saying, what? someone gave us your name. That's We're awesome. doing this movie. Huh? And uh, we want to come. We want you to come in. We want to meet you. And I said, okay. I didn't know what they were talking about. And so I go into this, I go to Paramount and I, I go into this waiting room at the casting office and there are all these 10 year old kids with baseball gloves. And so I, I thought, okay, there's somebody heard I was a baseball player. Um, there's some big mistake here. I was 18 years old. <laughs> so I walked up to the receptionist and said, I'm Hart. She said, Oh, Hey Hart, have, have a seat. We'll be with you in a second. I said, well, I just need to know, is this for the same role because i'm 18 she said no 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 it's a movie called bad news bears <laughs> so 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 i go in and and this casting director says to me well yeah we got your name from someone she didn't disclose who it was and she said i should probably shouldn't tell you this but you're probably going to get this part and i literally said to her yeah right and i said what is it and she said well it's hemingway and it's George C. Scott, who just won the Oscar for Patton, is playing his son. And oh, I just shit. thought, this isn't real. Yeah. And I left there. And then over the course of the next literally five months, four months, I had to have to go in and audition. And I'd never auditioned before. I'd never acted before, except a little bit in college and high school. And so at the end of the process, they hired me. And so... Wow. You know, I went from parking cars over the summer in Beverly Hills for two and a half bucks an hour to being in this movie in Hawaii where I'd never been. And, Amazing. And what then I, I took a I took a semester off from college and then I finished the film, went back and had a couple more years to go and graduated. And then when I graduated, I did Breaking Away. Like the day after oh, I I got uh, I graduated. I got hired for Breaking Away. So. Did you have like an agent at that point, like during college? I did. You did. I did. After I did Islands in the Stream, okay. I did. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because I, I, I was going to say, yeah. you, you mentioned, you know, uh, wildlife going back a little ways, but Breaking Away 
goes back even further. But that yeah. film, you, you were, you did a, uh, you were at the Egyptian not that long ago, right? Doing a, like a. Yeah. Yeah. We did a f- retrospective. Yeah. American Cinematheque. Yeah. 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 With, with Dennis Christopher, Danny Stern and, and Paul Dooley, the mm-hmm. four of us. It was great. Yeah. I mean, talk about a film That's that so cool. stands the test of time and it's, it's coming of age classic in my opinion. Um, yeah. And again, you play such a, you know, it, it, it came out before the outsiders, but this idea of like the, 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 you know, the cutters being the local kids and you were being the college kid and the tension that arises between that. And I think as an, as a kid, I watched it going, man, I want to be a college kid because it looks like they're so cool, but I'm that local kid and I'm never <laughs> going to go to college. And so why do you think that, I mean, we all know why this, that film stands, but can you talk a little bit about making that movie? Sure. Um, it was just a, a great summer in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, we were all young, just starting our careers and essentially, you know, making the same money and um, living in the same motel. And we all got, we all became very close. And again, you know, there was no expectation on the film. The studio, the only reason the, the movie got made was because Peter Yates, the director, had done Bullet and The Deep, mm-hmm. which were huge hits. Yep and had championed this script for years. It took him, I think, seven or eight years to get this going. And and Fox, the studio, said, okay, we'll make this movie for two and a half million bucks. Wow. So, you know, we just went down there on, on a wing and a prayer. We, 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 you know, they cast it just right, I think. And um, it kind of struck a nerve, you know. It was up for best picture and one screenplay and... You know, it just, um, I guess it holds up. I, I didn't see it. I don't watch my work, you FYI. Don't? So, oh. no, I haven't I haven't seen my work in years. If Trivia. I have to go in and do looping, you know, re, you know, dubbing or something, I have to watch it to sync my voice up to the, to the image. Yeah. But I don't watch my work at all. So I hadn't seen it since the premiere back in 79, I guess. Wow. Um, so so you, but, go, you go to premieres and that's it? Is that the, is the exception? I go to the premieres and then I do the press line and then I go into the theater and once the lights go down, I leave. Really? So you haven't, fact. You haven't yeah. seen that. You haven't <laughs> seen Die Hard. I went to the premiere of Die Hard. That was, that was the last, I think the last movie I've seen or maybe apartment zero, but that was a long, long time ago. I, you know, I think for me, the enjoyment of acting comes in the doing and yeah. not the final result. Because, sure. look, half of your performance is going to be on the cutting room floor anyway because they need yeah. to cut to the other actor. And, right. you know, you're at the mercy of the editorial process where your best work, you know, may be removed from the movie because it doesn't work in context. So I just feel like I'm better off and I don't learn anything. Maybe I've got too much self-loathing or something, but I, I don't learn anything from watching myself. It's understandable. I'm better off I'm better off in the moment and then just kind of walking away from it. That's the way it's always been. So yeah, I went know, to daily yeah, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that I, I think it. that's more common than not actually with a lot of people where they say, I don't watch my work or, you know, um uh, John Stewart the other day in an interview mm-hmm. was saying that he doesn't he never watched an episode of the Daily Show. He just he just was not 
He's like, I, once the work is done, the work right, is done. Right. And uh, and I and I totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. I was gonna say with when you made Apartment Zero because that mm-hmm. that's a movie that quite often people uh, have missed, and and I think that's a shame because I think it needs to be revisited. Uh huh. It you the theatrical cut was different from like the the VHS cut that came out. And is then, that right? Yeah, and then the DVD um, years ago, a DVD was released restoring the like the actual theatrical cut. Um, really, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, there's like a couple different versions that were surfacing out there. How bizarre! And it's a shame that that movie hasn't really gotten more of the attention that it deserved because it's it's got yeah. a phenomenal cast, and then you you know you turn out a very creepy performance. <laughs> Certainly a cult classic. I mean, for sure. Um, yeah, I think it it did okay when it came out as an indie. You know, yes. yeah, it was it was just on the cusp of sort of um, the Weinstein uh, surge of all those indie oh, independent yeah. movies, yeah. Sex Lies and Videotape, and it did very well on the on the festival circuit, um, and it struck a nerve, I think, in the gay community back then. But I think I think you're right. The mainstream didn't really uh, embrace it, or I don't think they were necessarily exposed to it. Adrian LeDuc is about to make an arrangement. Uh, I was inquiring about the apartment next door. An arrangement with a man he will never forget. Quiet, tidy, single person to share a large flat. There's only one rule here, and that is avoid the neighbors. You probably think I'm paranoid. Well, perhaps I am. Adrian wants to trust him. Well, he's an American, part of your exchange program. What do you mean he isn't listed? Of course he's listed. But Jack has many secrets. Who are you? Whoever you want me to be. He's lying to me, mother. There is no recognizable look to the killer. He could be anyone, even your next-door neighbor. I'll clean the carpet, I promise. Apartment Zero. Most fascinating thriller you'll ever see. I think if that movie came out now, it would have a different, different response. I think that, that at that time, yeah. and a different cast. <laughs> I mean, why not? You can come on, yeah. Silver Fox, yeah. Justin Bieber, yeah, as Mr. Carney. <laughs> well, you were saying that you you had you were getting ready to make that movie when Die Hard. Uh, when, when you were finding out that Die Hard was not going to be a success. So going into Apartment Zero, had that always been envisioned to be a kind of indie film? Apartment Zero? Yeah. Oh, I, th- I think so, yeah. I mean, I hear, I had a, a year or two years where I did this epic, huge, most expensive production in the history of film miniseries called War and Remembrance. For sure, yeah, yeah. Which was like 100, back then it was 120 million bucks. So I had that, then I did Die Hard, and then I wanted to do something, you know, um, more challenging and and, um, just different, you know. So this script came to me, and and there was nothing on the page that I I called my agent. I said, I read this thing. What is it? It's like a bunch of notes. She said, well, it's all in the director's head. You've got to sit down with him, have dinner with him. I said, I'm not going to have dinner with a stranger. I'll meet him for drinks. <laughs> right. It's like, so, it's like a first date. <laughs> yeah. So, dinner with a stranger. Exactly. No dinner. No dinner. So I think, yeah, yeah we met at the Polo Lounge. 
in okay. Beverly Hills at the Beverly Hills Hotel. And this guy's mind just fascinated me. This mm. director, Martin Donovan, this yeah. Argentine, had, had just created over the course of like a couple of hours this fascinating story in, as expressed to me. And I just thought, it's kind of too weird to pass up. Yeah. So, so you know, Colin was attached. Colin Firth was attached. And I said yes and went down to Argentina. And the interesting thing was that, you know, it was written by Martin Donovan and David Kep, who yeah. was, you know, who became one of the most successful screenwriters in Hollywood. But it was interesting. David was like 24 at the time. And he was just a an underling of Martin's. And they had, they had written this this script, but as I said, it was very rough. And what Colin and I would do is improvise off that script. Wow. So there was, I don't want to say it was all improvised, but a hell of a lot of it was. And if something was missing, I'd go to the director and say, you know, I think we need one more level of deception here. Hmm. So like this, cool. there's a scene where Colin hears me in the middle of the night and he right. comes out and he finds me crying. And I, that was all I said to the director, I need 45 minutes to shoot a scene, which I think will bridge what I feel is missing. So we shot that scene in 45 minutes. And I think it resonated in the context of the rest of the movie because it showed that this guy was my character was really a mess. Yeah. You know, a guy, a psychopathic killer that has remorse so right and it's it's the tone of it is is certainly like i mean being set in argentina it's sort of like it, it you know it feels much uh it feels further back than it than it than it was and also yeah. it's like this kind of like who done it like you're like well is he the you know is he this guy that they think like who's actually the killer and we don't know and then yeah. sort of by the end of it yeah. it's like <laughs> you're just like <laughs> like you're so comfortable with colin's character that it's just like no man, like that's me. Like um, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I killed her. Like yeah. Uh, anyway, you're gonna help me, right? It's like, come on, man. <laughs> and just yelling at him to to help you, and it's 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 really like this. It's just amazing. Like it's it's kind of a, a love story, really. Yeah. Like. Yeah, I mean, initially it was written as three characters. There were the two of us, and there was the director Martin Donovan playing. An, uh, uh, a, uh, an investigator. Mm. Interesting. And that was shot. Mm. And oh, apparently really? it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, apparently that whole thing, and it was, it was meaty. It was, there were the three of us. And we never, I never worked with Martin as on screen. He wasn't, he never worked with Colin, but there was this whole investigation going on tracking these murders. Yeah. And wow. apparently it did, it didn't work. And the, the initial cut came in at over three hours. Yeah. So there was yeah. enough to, to cut out, to, to focus on the two of us completely. Wow. I would love to so, see that. Which footage. I've never seen. Wow. I've never seen it. <laughs> well, like I said, the the theatrical cut I think is like a little over two hours, and then uh -huh. and then the, the video cut that came out back in the day was, uh, I think they trimmed almost ten minutes off of the film. Oh, really? Yeah. Never uh, heard that. Yeah, so that's a little huh. fun fact for you. Well, you know, it makes sense yeah. if you never watched the movie. So. <laughs> yeah. There you but, go. But you 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You All said right. you were you had just finished War and Remembrance, but yeah. for those people that don't know, you know, like they think, oh, Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor was this epic kind of over the top thing. War and Remembrance was huge. huge. It was huge. They they spent so much money. It was thirty two hours of television, and they oh my gosh. they they aired it in two chunks. Yeah, literally like sixteen hours each, like few months apart, and I I think that. It could have been the whole thing. You could have told the whole story in eight hours. <laughs> well, they probably. I mean, I, that's I, what they do I now. say that now because Dan Curtis has passed away, the director, <laughs> the writer-director. But I mean, it it had so many storylines that I think you know it was tough for people to hang in with it because Winds of War, which was the prequel yep. to it, uh, was maybe twelve hours. But to go from 12 hours to 32 hours was was a little much. It probably probably would have been more successful to air one or two hours a week as a weekly series rather than, you know, concentrated in two different showings. Well, it's interesting because a lot of people may not remember the fact that 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 was just the way television was back in the day. There used to be these long, epic shows. Long form. And yeah. I remember, I remember as a kid, you know, my parents would be like, "Oh, we're watching War and Remembrance tonight." And like, "Oh, oh, okay." And I wasn't really like, wasn't my thing at the time. But I, but I think actually it wasn't like, your thing as a six-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Why not? Come on, can we watch War and Remembrance? Um, but but you had, I mean, you were an integral part of that film, like or that that series. You were in, like, yeah, I was. I was kind of the male lead. It was yeah. it was Mitchum, Bob Mitchum, me, and Jane Seymour. Awesome. Huge and the leads. Yeah, and, yeah. And 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 you were saying, you know, Dan Curtis passed away. R.I.P. The director. And I want to jump a little bit ahead and talk about how you finally, because you said you wanted to be a director when you were younger. And then yeah. you got that opportunity in the '90s, right? I did, yeah. And so I made a short. I made a short film with John Lovitz, based on a an episode that had happened to me um, about a guy getting trapped in his apartment with a mosquito. It's called the buzz. And the buzz for people it's called the buzz, and and it it did very well on the festival circuit. And then Fox saw it and and hired me to direct PCU. PCU, uh, dude, it's it's the most yeah. underrated comedy of all time. Agreed. It, it, it's it's brilliant. Oh, you're the one guy that saw it. It's you're the guy that no, saw it. Okay. No, no. I mean, listen, people love that movie, and I am certainly not the only one. Um, yep. That, yeah. So, so our audience might not know this that you directed PCU, and it's yeah, it's fantastic. Jeremy Piven, Jeremy Piven, uh, John Favreau, uh, Favreau. You know, be, before yeah. Favreau was who he is now um, yeah you know and chris yeah. chris young at the time chris young was was a really big deal uh during he made a movie called book of love around that same time which was really right good. megan ward right. who yeah. was like adorable adorable yeah, yeah. i mean i was back yeah. there i had a huge crush on her um yeah. 
that looked like a crazy shoot. And then, oh, Parliament Funkadelic, of course. <laughs> yeah. Can you? It was originally it was originally written for Nirvana, and there was no way we were going to get them. Okay, because this <laughs> and, is ninety four. Uh, yeah, this is. Yeah, ninety three actually okay. when we made it. Yeah, it came out in ninety four. But yeah, when it was written, it was written for Nirvana. And then we had a, a music supervisor who said, what about the Goo Goo Dolls? Okay. And I said, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure that, you know, a PC crowd is going to say, wow, it's the Goo Goo Dolls, as good as they are. <laughs> true, true. So then we had a, we had a new uh, music supervisor that came in and said, I got P-Funk. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's kind of cool. For sure. George Clinton, yeah. P-Funk. George so. Clinton. That gave them a resurgence, in my opinion. I, I think PCU was a really big deal when it came out. Uh, Not I know, really. Well, I, for <laughs> it, for the, I mean, studio, yeah, the no. stu studio didn't know what it was. Really? The studio didn't oh. know what it was. And the head, of, yeah. the head of marketing came to me and said, we showed this at University of Colorado last night, and my son who goes there said, Dad, this is us. This movie's got to get out there. And he said to me, but it's too late because we don't understand the movie, and it's not going to do any business at all. What? Which kind of broke my heart, you know, because I was hoping it was going to, you know, do wonderful things for all involved. And it came out and did, you know, paltry business. I think it's got so, a cult. It's got a huge cult following. Absolutely huge. Well, it does on college campuses. I know, because you know when I when I talk to, you know, kids that are in in school, everybody seems to have heard of it or have seen it. But yeah, at the time, it was kind of a disappointment. Yeah, we're not gonna protest. <laughs> yeah, I just I love that. Uh, I will say to this day. I, when I go to a con, or well, when I did go to concerts, I always considered the, what shirt I was wearing because I didn't want to be that guy. <laughs> that guy. <laughs> Don't be that guy. I man. swear to God, that, that is the first thing yeah. that pops in my head. And then Jeremy Piven, probably in my opinion, one of his, one of my favorite roles of his, yeah. for sure. Yeah. You might think you know about school, but I got something to say to you. What are you, a narc? No, no, I'm, I'm a pre-frosh. I'm admissions arranged for me to uh, spend the night at your, your frat. Well, here's all you need to know. Classes, nothing before 11. Beer, it's your best friend, you drink a lot of it. Women, you're freshmen, so it's pretty much out of the question. It's a whole new ball game on campus these days, and they call it PC. Politically correct. What shall we eat? What happened to the ozone layer? It was last week. Well, now it's me. Let's do lunch. PCU. Prepare yourself for initiation. Try to relax. But then you did high school high after that a couple of years yeah. later, right? With, with your buddy John Lovitz. Yeah. And, and yeah. And again, another no school comedy. Um, yeah. What attracted it was, you? It to was that? like, um, how do I put this? <laughs> what? Um, the, the, uh, the, the guy who's going to direct it, David Zucker, 
who was my buddy, uh, came to me and asked me to, to direct it. Uh, he was busy doing other stuff. He was originally slated to do it. He wanted to do this movie at Universal about Davy Crockett. And so I said, yes. And frankly, you know, uh, I initially thought, I don't think this movie's for me. Mm. I didn't think that follow, I should follow up PCU with another sophomoric, you know, shtick driven kind of movie. I didn't think it was as sharp as it could have been. And, but I, but PCU didn't do any business. Yeah. And so I needed to get another movie under my belt, and this came along, and that was that was a not the reason to do a, a movie because it's a year, year and a half of your life, mm-hmm. and you've really gotta be in love with something in order to commit that kind of time, or you're making a pact with the devil. And my agents had said to me, "This movie's going to open. It's the Zucker Brothers, you know, coming off Airplane and The Naked Gun, and it's." You know, the studio's going to get behind it. It's $25 million budget. You really should do it. Mm-hmm. And so I did. And after that, it became difficult to get a different level of, of movie. Yeah, it's frustrating. So, so, yeah. And I was in movie jail. I had to go back into acting, which I thought I was done with, mm-hmm. you know, to, to kind of make a living. And, and everybody said, you know, you know, there's still options for you in acting you should you should uh jump on it and i was reluctant because i thought when i started act well started directing i thought i'm done yeah i accomplished what i set out to do as an actor and now i'm using it as a stepping stone i want to be a director and hopefully you know i can do this the rest of my life and i got found myself in movie jail as a director and had to go back to kind of square one and i started writing it's so frustrating but then you were able to, I mean, obviously several years later, but I really want to ask you about Just Add Water because yeah, that sure. that obviously seems to be, I would assume, something very near and dear to your heart, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I wrote it. I It took me two and a half years to get going. Um, I wanted to, you know, always set out my sights, set my sights on being a filmmaker rather than just a gun for hire. And I wanted to write a story about the American dream going to seed and what we've done to this planet, you know, yeah. a story about the common man trying to make his way in a, in a an ever more difficult situation, both culturally and socioeconomically and environmentally. So I wrote this kind of black comedy from hell, set in hell. <laughs> You know, yeah. Which which was a town that I had shot in for one night. I did a a movie with Bridget Fonda and Kiefer Sutherland, where we were shooting up there. And the director said, "We're we're going to a town tonight, the likes of which you will never see again. It's the most bizarre, toxified community in America, mm-hmm. but it's fascinating." Wow. And I we did, and I couldn't get it out of my head, and I I was. Um, a couple of years later, I, I was dating this girl, and I said, I want to write this story, and it takes place in this town called Trona, which is about three and a half hours from L.A., and I said, let's get in the car and go up there, and then we can go to Death Valley for a couple mm-hmm. of days after that. And so we, we drove through this town, and it was, as I remembered it, only during the daytime, it was so bleak and so strange <laughs> that I I created this movie out of it and 
cast, you know, Danny DeVito and Jonah Hill and Justin Long yeah, and great cast. Yeah. Melissa McCarthy and yeah. It's about 15 miles from Ridgecrest where you hear about earthquakes all the time. Yeah, yeah, right. Well, there's maybe there's a reason why. Epicenter Ridgecrest. Well, yeah. and and at that film, it's a it's a it's a really it's a really well-made well-written film it's it's quirky and i love yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and um and just i'm so glad you were able to make something outside of (laughs) you know movies that you not necessarily will get a little typecast you know oh well we've got a great high school comedy drama for you but no you're now you're doing just add water which has a huge impact but um you then you went on to direct a lot of like ncis and new orleans that seems like yeah, I've been doing that show. Scott Bakula is a really good buddy of mine, and it's a different kind of challenge doing TV. But you know, the movie business, for all intents and purposes, is has dried up. They're tentpole movies, you know, which are two hundred million dollars. The the kind of mid level comedies that I you know used to direct barely exist anymore, except for Judd Apatow. Yep, and. You know, I wanted to get into TV, and so I've been doing. I've been going down to New Orleans the last two, three years and shooting those. And I find it, you know, as challenging, if not more so, because of the schedule, because of the fact that the actors have been doing it for several years, and you got to keep everybody fresh, and you're constantly trying to invent new ways to shoot something so it doesn't feel formulaic. And you just, you know, it's it's listen to me directing is the great job of all time so if i could just keep doing it the rest of my life i'd be very happy you know? that that's fantastic yeah. i mean right before while we were scheduling your interview i think you had said oh i gotta i gotta go down to new orleans to shoot this episode and so obviously yeah um, and so what's going on right now is an impacted that right yeah deal. we're we're supposed to go back i mean i heard from one of the actresses last night we're supposed to go back mid-august okay um so so i'm just waiting to find out when they're when they're booking me Fingers and crossed. how many episodes i'm doing i've been doing a couple a year but hopefully it'll be more this year but they're gonna they have to you know by virtue of covid they have to design a new way to to conceive the show so that actors are not in close proximity necessarily they don't want to bring in a lot of people from la to guest to do guest stars because they don't want people on planes they want to bring directors down and leave them for a while so doing a couple of episodes back to back but um this is going to be a big game changer i love it this is going to be uh it's going to be a whole new way of looking at uh, television and movies after this, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm supposed to do a mini series uh, based on the Theranos um, story with Kate McKinnon as oh. an actor uh, oh, playing nice. Larry Ellison, oh, and I'm cool. waiting for a start date on that if it doesn't overlap with the show. Wow. That with NCIS. So, but yeah, it's it's how they're going to shoot anything. I'm especially with you know the spike in cases. It's yeah. It's going to be tough, I think. Yeah, I can only, yeah. Because uh, I, I just had to put this out there. You don't really give a lot of interviews, right? You, you... Well, I mean, when I when I have stuff to promote, I do, but, you know. But as far just... as your uh, uh, kind of a retrospective on your career, wouldn't you say that this is an exclusive? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes. So thank hot, you. Hot off the presses. Yeah. <laughs> no one knows that you don't watch your own stuff until now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like, I, as far as I'm concerned, that's true. And <laughs> and and uh, you know, Scott Bakula is fantastic. By the way, huge. He fans. is, and yeah. he's just he's the greatest guy. We've been friends for years. I worked with his um, now wife, who's been his wife for twenty some odd years. But we Chelsea we met Fields. down at. Yeah, Chelsea and I did a movie down in uh, Atlanta together in the early 90s, and yep. and we became buds. She was married to another guy at the time, and then she got divorced and met Scott, and they have a couple of kids together, and they're just really close friends of mine. So well, I think it's I think it's great that you're you're getting to work with people that you're friends with as well. Uh, that's one of the things that I love about doing this show with Dustin is that we're we're buddies and we get to produce content that is. And obviously, if you're working with your friends, it, it's going to come across in a more, uh, you know, meaningful, genuine way, I think. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it can be the best experience or you can discover who people really are, which is sometimes <laughs> right. not That's so true. great. It's like yeah. living with somebody, you know, you know? like yeah. great friends don't make great roommates. Yeah, this is, this is true. Exactly. This is true. Exactly. So obviously, for now, you have a lot of things going on um, kind of in, in waiting but uh yeah and so that's i have another i have another feature that i i'm putting in the pipeline as soon as you know everybody comes up for air um that's based on a trip that five college buds of mine and i had last year one of my closest friends has stage four cancer so we we put together a kind of reunion college trip and i took that as a as an idea and made a, a movie about it. Uh, I, I wrote a script about it. So it's kind of a dramedy. So that's kind of next. Well, I hope that as gets far made. as, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, well, it deals with, you know, the issues that, that men t tend not to look at terribly much and women aren't terribly aware of, which is guys in their, the, I made the guys in their late forties and, you know, it's like, you, you've achieved certain things that you've set out to achieve as, as a man. And then you reach a certain level and you go, is that all there is? Is that, is there more to life than this? Where's the, where's the mm. big orgasm as I call it, you know, where, <laughs> you know, you feel complete and I don't think it exists. So that's kind of what's at the core of this story. I would tend yeah. to agree with you in the sense that, you know, Dustin and I are both in our forties and, and, when I think when we were kids or that old, older generation was like, well, this is by this age, you're supposed to achieve this certain thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you get to that age and you're like, wait, wasn't I supposed to achieve that certain thing? <laughs> or even if you did achieve it, you goes, so, so what? what's so next? What? Or is that right. it? You know, it's what's, yeah. what's going to make me feel like I've done everything and I don't need to do anything more. And I just don't think that, that's how men are built, especially in modern society where nothing's ever enough. And you're always looking over your shoulder at somebody who's doing better than you or, yep. you know, or looking at your phone and your, your social media and your, your yeah, everybody's, yeah. everybody seems doing yeah. great there. And speaking of social yeah. media, you're pretty much off social media, which is, uh, I'm not a social media guy. That's I don't, that's I don't really, good for, you. Good for you. I don't get it. Yeah. I don't get it. I, I had a, an, uh, Twitter account for a minute because I'm big in the environmental movement. Mm -hmm. And I thought, yeah, I just, 
there's got to be another way to do this for me. So, well, you speaking of environmentalism, because you had said in just add water, there's obviously that element yeah. to it. Um, you've been a huge environmentalist for quite some time. So outside of directing, that is mm-hmm. something you are very passionate about, right? It is absolutely. What what since uh, I was a yeah. kid, yeah. What drove you to that? Well, I grew up in Santa Monica, and I went to school in the Valley. And back in those days, the air was so bad, you could cut it with a fork. And I would come home from school after playing, you know, I was on the sports teams, and I couldn't breathe. And I thought, what are we doing to ourselves? This is madness. Wow. Yeah. You know, we live in this enclosed space, the planet, and we're just, you know, fouling the nest, and nobody seems to be doing anything about it. So I don't know. That's that's where it came from, and that's... That's where my main concern is about the state of the planet. When you talk about the the issue of breathing nowadays, it's so obviously relevant because of everyone wearing masks or being being asked, "Please wear, put a mask on." You know, yeah, um, and, yeah, and 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 so, are you? Have you been? Ha, have you been working on anything uh, politically, actively? Recently? Well, I just I just did this thing, Artists for Amazonia, which we had a big um, kind of online fundraiser to save, try to save the indigenous peoples of the the rainforest because this guy, you know, president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, has it in his in his mind that there's money to be made from destroying the Amazon and, and yeah. cutting down all the trees and. Yep. You know, COVID has gone in there rampantly and killed most of the elders, and it's a disaster. So, you know, I I I joined forces with uh, with that group, and we wrote the script for it, and then had this kind of online thing that was a, three weeks ago, and then and then it played. It had a world premiere on Friday to raise money for. And awareness, you know, about the plight of the indigenous and what what it's going to do to us as a result. Can we still see that online? Yeah, it's on uh, on YouTube. And what's it called? Artists for Amazonia. Okay. So, Hart, thanks so much for being on the show. And gentlemen, uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Next time we do this, we'll do it in person, hopefully. Great, I'd love it. In All New right. Orleans on the set. <laughs> <Yeah>. and, uh, <laughs> okay. All the okay. best, and stay safe, and take care. Okay, you too, guys. Thanks, Emil. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. Thanks so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Don't forget to subscribe and give us a four... Is it five-star rating? (laughs) Don't forget to subscribe and give us a five-star rating on iTunes. We really... Don't forget to subscribe and leave us a five-star rating on iTunes. If you listen to us on Spotify, that's great, too. And you can find us on the internet... Don't forget to check out our website at $2LateFee.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at $2LateFeePodcast. We'll see you next time. We did it. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.